Well, beloved, I want to speak with you this morning about becoming a truth teller in a world of lies. About becoming a truth teller in a world of lies. Truth is in short supply in our days. From the halls of academia to the corridors of Congress, from the canyons of Wall Street to the crossroads of middle America, truth is in short supply. In fact, it has become rude and even hateful to even insist that there is any such thing as true truth. For the majority of our society, truth is a soft, waxy substance that can be shaped to fit our individual preference or bias. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 27 and verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. The reality of the matter is the day in which you and I live, most people would rather be kissed than confronted with something which they believe is not true. This refusal to receive truth is not new. In fact, it was something the Apostle Paul himself faced in his relationship with the churches that he had planted in Galatia. When he came to them and spoke to them about their defection from the gospel. And their response to his truth that he brought to them was so severe that he ends up writing to them in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? If I tell you the truth, does it make me your enemy? Why is truth, and why are truth-tellers in such short supply? The biblical answer to the question is sin. It is because of sin. First, in Adam's rebellion against God, in response to the, to the lie that Satan had foisted upon Eve, Adam turned from God in rebellion and ate of the fruit that had been forbidden to him. And when he ate, he constituted both himself and all of his offspring sinners by nature and by choice. And in particular, he constituted them liars. Liars. The Apostle Paul, in talking about the universal effect of sin, writes in Romans chapter 3, and in beginning in verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. And as you drop down to verse 13, where he is outlining here the various categories of the unrighteousness of fallen man, he says in verse 13, With their tongues they keep deceiving. Tongues they keep deceiving. 
Lying comes as well from God's abandonment of a culture. In its refusal to acknowledge and worship Him, He gives it over into the deep, dark descent of man. Where Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25, people exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creation rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And finally, lying at the personal level, for you and I, who are followers of Jesus Christ, comes from the fact that our former life before Christ was a life of darkness and wickedness and unrighteous thinking. And although we are new in Christ Jesus, we still drag into this new life the habits and the thought processes of the old life. And so with it, we drag these former lusts of deceit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, into the new life of Christ. Jim Berg, in his book that I mentioned to you last week, changed into his image. He writes the following, and I quote, We all know by experience the intrinsic pull to be dishonest. None of us had to be taught to lie. It was natural the first time, and it remains the natural thing now. That is very sobering. Very sobering. But as Christians made new in Christ, we must resist the tug of the old man. We must put off the deeds of darkness that formerly characterized us, and we must live out the reality of our new nature in Christ. In other words, we must become truth-tellers in a world of lies. <clears throat> Open your Bibles to the fourth chapter of Ephesians, if you've not gone there already. We're going to be looking this morning at the 25th verse of the fourth chapter. Verse 25. Last week we finished the three-part series titled A Christian Battle Plan in which we covered Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 24. And in that series we learned that lasting victory over sin only comes about by the process of putting off the old man and putting on the new with the renewing of the mind. It's part of that process. We looked at a chart last week, you'll remember, in which we tried to lay out how that process would work and, and how do we use it in our own lives and, and how do we use it to help others in their fight against sin. So what I want to do this morning is, is return to the process because Paul gives us the illustration of it here in verse 25. So as we look together this morning at at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, what we'll find here is the three-step process for lasting change. The three-step process for lasting change so that we will become truth-tellers in a world of lies. It's very simple. The process is simple. The implication is difficult. Step 1. Put off the old self. Put off 
the old self. Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood. Stop right there. Therefore, laying aside falsehood. Notice that Paul begins here, verse 25, with the word therefore. And as we certainly know and we see that, it causes us to pause and, and to look back and to see what kind of conclusion he is drawing. What is it that he has said before that leads him to a conclusionary kind of statement indicated by therefore? And it takes us back to verse 24 where Paul talks about truth. And where he speaks there about the, the reality of that in Christ we have been made new in the likeness of God. We have been recreated in the likeness of God, the likeness of righteousness and, and holiness that, that finds its source in God. The truth about God, the truth of God and his gospel of truth. So therefore, in light of that reality, that the newness in Christ, we're to lay aside falsehood. Beloved, lying is an impossibility for God. Lying is an impossibility for God. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul says there, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. It is a contradiction of his nature to lie. He himself only speaks truth. He is truth, Jesus says. John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lying is the very opposite of truth. Lying is that which characterizes the devil himself, who was a liar from the beginning. It is the father of lies, Jesus says. John 8 and verse 44. Therefore, to claim fellowship with the Father of light while living a life of darkness is an impossibility and renders us, who would make such a claim, a liar. So John says in 1 John 1, 6, lying is a big deal. It's a big deal. What are some of the ways that you and I manifest falsehood, lying in our day-to-day -day lives. If we are to put off the old self, we need to be willing to take a hard, open-eyed look at it in all of its ugliness. What are some of the ways? Well, it can be with a look. We can lie with a look. And we can lie with our words. We can lie with our words. Things like flattery, which is complimenting, commending, or praising someone falsely. Flattery can be a form of deceit. We can engage in exaggeration, which is a statement that represents something as better or worse than it really is. Exaggeration. There are the half-truths, the omissions of, of details that another party has a right to know. Manifestations of deceit. 
There is the so-called white lie. You know, that's when the phone rings. You tell your kids, tell them I'm not home. Tell them I'm not home. There is dissembling, which is the concealing of one's true motives or beliefs or feelings. It's another form of deceit. There is slander. Slander. Bearing false witness. And its legal form, perjury. Perjury. There are misrepresentations. Presenting information contrary to fact. These and others, I'm sure, you and I have both engaged in and find ourselves tempted to engage in. Why? Why do we lie? Why do we lie? Well, sometimes we lie to avoid temporal consequences and penalties. We think if we if we don't tell the truth, if we tell a lie here, that we can somehow avoid a penalty or a temporal consequence for a certain behavior or action. So we lie. We lie to maintain or enhance our image and reputation. We want people to think well of us, and so we lie. We lie to gain an advantage over other people. We lie to cheat and defraud others for our own personal gain. And we lie in order to bring about punishment upon our enemies or those that we care nothing all of these thoughts, motives, and behaviors belong to our former life of sin. They are manifestations of a darkened mind, of a stony dead heart, and, and so they must be put off. It must be put off. And this is the first step in the process of change. We must put these off. Put off the old nature, the old self. And renew the mind. That's the second step. Renew the mind. Lying is a means to an end. Lying is a means to an end. And, and so in order to truly renew our, our minds, we need to dig deep. We need to dig deep and we need to be willing to uncover the foundational reasons and, and motivations that are behind our lying. These 
fundamental reasons and, and motivations, they are deeply seated and need to be uncovered. It takes work. But they are things like pride and greed and vengeance and fear and unbelief. It's important, important to recognize these deeper reasons if we're ever going to be successful in renewing our minds. If we only deal with the lie, we are merely whacking leaves off the tree. We will never kill it until we cut it down and dig out its roots. There are many, many, many scriptural reasons not to lie that are helpful in the renewing of our minds, to be sure. To enable us to think God's thoughts after Him. For example, God does not lie. If we are made in the image of Christ, who is God, a very God, then He doesn't lie. We're not to lie either. Then it's helpful to, to think on the implications of the fact that God does not lie. And we are His offspring. It's helpful in the renewal of the mind process to think about the ninth commandment, which prohibits lying. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, the ninth commandment. It's helpful. Think about that. It's helpful to think about the fact that God values truth and integrity in His people. For example, Psalm 51 and verse 6, where David writes, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. David penned that in the aftermath of his own sordid affair with Bathsheba, judicial execution of her husband and his lying lips to try to cover it all up. When Nathan confronted David and he broke, David penned Psalm 51 in verse 6. Behold, O God, you desire truth. It's helpful in the mind renewal process to think of Jesus' words to Pilate in John 18 and verse 37. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. To hear the voice of Jesus is to be of the truth. To be of the truth. It is helpful to remember that all lies have their origin and affinity with the devil. Where Jesus says in John 8, 44,
speaking to the Jewish authorities, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whoever, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Beloved, for us, we need to renew our mind to recognize that when we lie, we are denying God as our father. We are denying God as our father. It's helpful to remember what John writes in Revelation 21.8 that all liars will join Satan in the lake of fire. It is not a small matter. It is not a small matter. Now law and judgment have their place. Be sure. Law and judgment have their place in the restraint of sin. But love is the greatest motivator of all. It is love. And that is what Paul uses here in Ephesians 4 and verse 25 as the, as the highest motivator. There's a place for law. There's a place for judgment. There's a place to remember that all liars will be cast into the lake of fire. But that ultimately will not enable you to the power you need to overcome. The power we need comes from love. It comes from love. Look at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor for the reason why we are members of one another. Paul presents here the unity of the members of a local body of Christ as the reason we must gain victory in this area of the Christian life. It is because you and I are members of one another. That there's no place for lying. The way to put an end to lying and the sin of lying is to think deeply upon the implications of the unity, our unity in Christ. In other words, to process and think deeply upon the implications of the first three chapters of Paul's letter here to the church at Ephesus. As we think about what it means to be predestined in love by the Father, to be united with Him as joint heirs with Christ, to be His sons, to call Him Abba, Father, to have the indwelling Spirit of God, to be made one in the Spirit, in the local body of Christ, Jew, Gentile, joined together, united in Christ, caring for one another, loving one another, providing for one another. In that context, there's no place for life. No place at all. It is love that will, that will extinguish the flame. It will suck the oxygen out of the room. It is our unity in Christ. Brought about by Christ's love for us. That motivates our love for each other. This is why... This is why members of one another is such a powerful deterrent to lying. Members of one another. We don't think hard enough about that. 
and its implications. Trust and honesty are foundational to loving relationships. You cannot love someone and lie to them at the same time. It's a non sequitur. It can't happen. It must not happen. Lying destroys relationships. Truth is foundational to relationships. Put off the old self. And in this case, lay aside falsehood. Be renewed in your mind. Remember, we are members of one another. Think about that. And the third part of the process, put on the new self. Put on the new self. Verse 25, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Speak truth. Each one of you. Notice how Paul personalizes it here. Each one of you, each one of us, speak truth with one another, with our neighbor. Your Bible, no doubt, identifies this as a quote out of the Old Testament. Typically, English translations will capitalize the quotes out of the Old Testament so that we are quickly alerted to the fact that this is something that has been written earlier for us. And indeed it has. Paul is quoting here from Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 16. So I'm going to turn you over to the words of the prophet Zechariah. Find the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah was a post-exilic prophet. In other words, that his ministry occurred following the return from the Babylonian captivity. He was writing to the, the remnant that had returned sometime around 520 B.C. The message of Zechariah is a series of oracles, and, and basically they, they look ahead and speak to the time of the establishment of Messiah's kingdom. The book of Zechariah is filled with all kinds of, of images and, and symbolism drawn from the old, earlier writings of the Old Testament. And at first blush, it, it seems kind of mysterious. But for our purposes here, we are in the 8th chapter. The 8th chapter. Where Paul draws his quote from the 16th verse. Now the 8th chapter of Isaiah, or excuse me, Zechariah's prophecy here is about the restoration of Israel and its capital city, Jerusalem, in the days of Messiah's earthly kingdom. In those days, the Lord promises that his, his people will finally become the kingdom of priests that they had been ordained to be back at the, fleet, at the foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. It'll finally happen. We can see it here in 
Quickly, in verse 23 of the 8th chapter, where Zechariah writes, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, and you've heard me say this before, when you see the expression, those days, generally speaking, it is a look ahead to the coming Messiah's kingdom. It's a clue for you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. In other words, He will dwell among His people. And it will come during Jesus' earthly kingdom. In this place of favor for the people of God, they will be characterized by righteousness. They will be characterized by righteousness. And, and this righteousness will display itself in four ways. And all four of the ways relate to the topic of honesty and integrity. Take a look beginning in verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I purposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented, so I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also let none of you devise evil in your heart against one another, and do not love perjury. For all these things are what I hate, declares the Lord. In other words, in the time of Messiah's kingdom, when the people of Israel have been regathered in, into, the, into the kingdom, into the millennial kingdom, and they, and they have been converted, as Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 11, they will be characterized by truth. Righteousness that reveals itself through truth. And there are four displays of that truth, that honesty, that integrity, that the prophet references here. Verse 16, where he says, speak truth to one another. That's where Paul lifts his quote from. He also says, the prophet does, in verse 16, they are to judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. In other words, they are to have a fair legal system. The judgment occurred at the gates of the city. That's where the, the, the elders of the city would sit to hear the judicial cases that were brought before them. And Israel, in her corruption, as she, before she was driven off into her captivity, perverted justice in the gates. The wealthy got one form of justice and the poor got a second. Judge for truth and judgment for peace. In your gates. In other words, you will have a fair legal system. Verse 17 Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And finally, verse 17 Do not love perjury. Do not love perjury. Together, this speaks about the issues of integrity. Well, that's Israel in a day still future. So why does Paul quote it? What is he after? What Paul is after is 
in speaking to the Ephesian believers and communicating to them whose citizenship in Messiah's coming kingdom has been assured by virtue of their union with the Messiah himself. They are to demonstrate the reality of that changed nature, their citizenship in the kingdom, by themselves being truth-tellers. If that's what kingdom citizens look like, they are truth-tellers, then you and I, whose citizenship is in that kingdom, although it is yet future, we are today to manifest the citizenship by being truth-tellers. That's what Paul's after. That's what Paul's after. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. That word neighbor implies a close proximity. It implies relationship. Not Southern California neighbors where we erect big fences and block walls so we don't have to see each other. It speaks about relationships, the close proximity of neighbors. And the closeness of these relationships is found most especially in the community of the believers. We are neighbors of one another. Now, Paul's not saying it's okay to lie to strangers, right? Let's just kind of get that out of the way here. Right? Speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. Okay, can I lie to a stranger? No. Oh, by the way, let me just say this, okay? Because it's probably occurring in a few of your minds. The three or four instances in the Old Testament in which there is lying. Okay, Rahab, uh, let's see, Jacob and, and uh, Rachel. And let me think, what else? There's... Uh, Oh, there's Abraham with Sarah. There's, um, oh, there's probably another one. I haven't thought about it. You know what? Stop. Okay? By the way, when those thoughts occur to us, and it's, and it's okay, if you want to stay afterwards and come down to the Q&A time, bring them all up. I think I can give you an answer to them. Okay? But, but whenever you hear a command from God and the first thing that comes to your mind is exceptions, that's not good. That's not good. Paul's not saying it's okay to lie to strangers. In fact, I just tell you right now, it's never okay to lie. God does not lie. It's never okay to lie. Christians should be truth-tellers. We are to be truth-tellers. But what his focus is here when he when he he quotes this and he, and he talks about each of you with his neighbor. He, he is focusing on the duty of truth-telling as, as an implication of our unity together in the body of Christ. We are the neighbors of one another. Now speaking truth among community members implies speaking for their good. Speaking for their good. 
agreeing or remaining silent in the, in the face of patently false statements in order to preserve some thin veneer of relational peace, right? Oh boy, if I were to disagree with him or if I were to tell him the truth in this matter, who knows what would happen? So I'll just be quiet about it all. That's not loving somebody. It's not how a family operates or should operate. Listen, if your relationship cannot stand truth, then your relationship is defective. Your relationship is insincere and you're sincere and your relationship is superficial. Now, that doesn't matter whether you're related by blood or not. If that's the reality, is that your relationship can't stand truth, the relationship is in trouble. It's in trouble. Lay aside falsehood. Speak truth with each one of you with his neighbor. Because we are members of one another. Online shopping is a big deal now. Alright? Or you buy versus anything online. And many of us do a considerable amount of shopping online. But being unable to physically handle the merchandise before you buy it is a bit of an obstacle, right, to online shopping. Isn't that true? So because of that truth, it's true, that truth, what has arisen is, is what's called the user review system. The user review system, right? You get how many stars, right? So if you're looking to buy something on Amazon, what do you do? You go and you see how many stars does it have. And then you go beyond that and you, and you begin to look at the actual reviews. You read the reviews. You read the reviews. And they're greatly helpful in making an informed purchasing decision. But not all online reviews are helpful. Where is he going? Hang on with me you'll find out. Okay. Not all online reviews are helpful. The ones that I find most frustrating, as I sort through them, are the reviews, the, the negative reviews written by people who have obviously either mishandled or misunderstood the product. And then they give it one star. It is a piece of junk. And it's clear from their review that they had no idea what they own. And so they give it a low rating. Okay, you know about that. You all you understand that. All right. That can apply here to the process of biblical change. Put off, be renewed, put on. What do I mean by that? It, it can apply to the process of biblical change when people say, or you yourself have said, I've tried this and it doesn't work. I've tried it and it doesn't work. I've tried to put off the old way of thinking, my old sinful habit. And I've tried to, I, I read my Bible and I pray and I've tried to put on the new self, the new man, the new habit. And, I, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So you give the Word of God a one-star review. But beloved, it doesn't work not because the Word of God is not true. It doesn't work not because that this is not the way the Spirit of God has determined that biblical change really does happen. It, it doesn't work is because we're not utilizing the process properly. 
In other words, we have short-changed what we've been given here. There are a number of ways that we can shortchange this process. I'm just going to briefly outline them for you here. Actually, we could create a whole sermon out of that, but I don't think I want to. Let me just give you some of the ways that you and I, either overtly or inadvertently, can, can shortchange the process of biblical change so that it doesn't work for you. Okay, because there is no other way. This is not like one option among many. You don't choose from A or B or C or D or, or mix and match, you know, make up your own way of doing things. There's only one way, and this is it. This is it. So here are some of the here's some of the problems that lead to the you know the one-star reviews. This process does not produce lasting change because we have failed to renew our minds. That's probably the most common. We say that it doesn't work. I, 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 I'm drawn back into the same place. I'm still in bondage to the same things. It's probably because you have not renewed your mind. Let me give you an example. We'll just keep it in the context of the lying here. If we desire to stop lying because of its negative consequences, we will fail. If we want to stop lying, because you know what? Every time I lie, it just it ruins relationships. I get found out anyway. There's all kinds of negative things that come to me. You know, I get a correction if you're young. You know, whatever it is. Okay, if that's my reason to stop lying, it's because of all the negative stuff it brings upon me, then I'm going to fail in that. Why? Why will I fail? The reason I will fail is because I'm still thinking about me and my happiness. You understand? I have not renewed my mind yet. It's still all about me. So why don't I lie? Because, hey, you know what? I lie, bad things happen to me, so I don't lie. What have you missed? You've missed love. I mean, there's love there, okay, but it's all pointed inward, right? There's no, there's no loving and serving others. There's no recognition of community. In other words, we're trying to restrain the flesh with the flesh. And that may work for a while, but you will fail. You'll either find yourself back in the same place again or the flesh will burst forth somewhere else. We must be about renewing our minds. Meaning we've got to dig deep, below the surface. What is it you are after when you participate, when you manifest this behavior which the scriptures clearly speak of as unrighteous. Beloved, this is true in the context here of lying, but, but it's true across the board. What is it you want that you're not getting? What are you getting that you don't want? You've got to figure that out. And then attack that. The 
Second reason why this process is thought not to work is because of a lack of enduring obedience. I spoke of that last week quickly as well. In other words, that when the hard time comes, when the fight gets difficult, you know, normally we've caved, we've, we've given in, now we're going to be fighting. So the temptation is going to be stronger because why? Well, you're fighting it harder and, and, and farther. We have to endure in our own strength. No, you're not going to be able to endure in your own strength. We need to endure as we walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And third, it doesn't work because we are often unwilling to structure and restructure our environment for godliness. In other words, we are frequently unwilling to give up things that are a temptation to us, that lead us into places where we don't belong. But we must. And that's an individual analysis and decision. What is okay for, for that person may not be okay for you. And you have to be willing to, to structure your environment, to, to deny yourself whatever it is, or bring into your life whatever has to come into your life, to set yourself up in a place for success, not a failure. Okay? I mean, if you're trying to lose weight, going to the donut shop in the morning before work is just not a good idea. But spiritually, that's often what we do. It's often what Beloved, I don't, I don't want to beat you up this morning. I'm not here to beat you up. But believe me, everything I've said, I feel the weight of it. It's to, it's to encourage each other in the, in the fact that we are together in the body of Christ. And we are in unity and relationship with each other. And families don't lie to each other. So we need to be two speakers. We need, to, we need to make it our habits. And since we're all tempted in this area, and since all of us fail with some regularity in this area, one, one manifestation or another, we can be really gentle with each other in this, can't we? Because this is a common affliction. So let's not get on our high horse. Right? It's you know, going to point the bony finger. Okay? But let's, hey, let's encourage each other. Gently, you know, in, in a spirit of love, but, but even the one of exaggeration. Maybe that sticks out for me because that's what I'm prone to. Just say, hey, was that an exaggeration? Yikes. Let's pray. Father. Continue the good work you've begun in us in Christ. May your spirit apply the truth here. Give us hope, Father. This is a passage about hope. It's hope because Christ has conquered. His victory is ours. There is no sin that has overtaken us, but such as is common to man, and, and with it there is, a, there is a means of escape. Father, may you help us this morning.
to apply the truth of this passage in our own life, in our family, amongst our relationships. Father, help us to love and value community in a much greater way. I ask in Jesus' name.